you, Lord. Thank you that you're everything. You're the center of it all. You're the center of the circle that James spoke of last night. The author and finisher of our faith. The creator of all things. The sustainer of all things. The Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that we worship you. Not a God carved out of sticks and stones, but a God who made the sticks and stones. Thank you, Father. Thank you for having such vision as to create the heavens and the earth to place us here provide a way that we could interact with you and to know you and to worship you. Father, let the burdens of our lives, wherever they may be, whether they're physical or emotional or interaction with others, whatever those burdens may be, Father, let them just uh, fall away from us as, uh, as chains that are loosed from a prison that just fall to the ground. And in the freedom of this place at this time, we ask that you would speak to us as only you can. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, his alone, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Glory to God. Well, we had a great time last night. Uh, Brother James Barron, all the way from the great sunny state of Florida, the Sunshine State. Uh, glad to say that uh, it's still there. Although uh, Irma tried to uh, do her best to eliminate it, uh, she's still there. And you know that uh, Florida's there because Disney is open, all right? As long as, Dis as, long as Disney's open, uh, Florida's going to be open too. So, uh, with that said, uh, I believe all of you know James. He's a practicing attorney from the from Florida. He uh, has a part-time, uh, I was going to say this was part-time, but really this is his full-time job. The attorney job is a part-time job. This is his full-time job, running around preaching the good news uh, and doing certain times of the year, like the swallows will go back to Capistrano. Uh, James is a native of Louisiana, and when LSU football is on, James shows up. So. <laughs> With that said and done, let's welcome the LSU champion, Mr. James Barrett. Amen. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Barry. Good morning. Everybody sleep good last night? We laid our heads on the Lord's chest and rested last night. Awesome. So cool how that's recorded in Scripture, you know. There's so many things that were not recorded in Scripture. John even says in the last chapter of the Gospel of John, there's an awesome verse in that last chapter of the Gospel of John, where John says, he says, I suppose that if everything should have been written about Jesus that could have been written, the world itself could not contain the books that should have been written. Isn't that awesome? So we have just a few pages, few gospels to read, but there's so much more that happened, and I'm so glad they included in the Gospel of John, they included the Holy Spirit, wanted to include John laying on Jesus' chest, resting there. Because, as we said last night, we don't preach a concept of grace. We don't preach precepts. We don't preach law. We don't preach principles. We don't preach, you know, the Bible's not a book of principles that if you get these principles and apply these principles, then you'll have a great life. That's not what the scriptures are all about. It's a revelation of him. It's a revelation about a person. We preach a person. We preach him. Paul said that he was called to preach 
him, preach Jesus, preach the Son. When Peter and James and John were taken up to the what we call the Mount of Transfiguration and, and Jesus was glorified in their presence, Peter said, uh, oh my gosh, we should build a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah and Jesus because Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus, you know. And at that moment, the presence of God came down and the Father spoke from the cloud and said, this is my son, hear him. Not Moses, not Elijah, but him. In other words, as Jesus said, Moses spoke of me. Moses wrote of me. And that's why he said to his Jewish brothers, he says, if you don't believe Moses' words, how can you believe my words? For he spoke of me. So if you reject Moses, how can you hear me? For he, your, your hero, Moses, you, won't, you, you, have, you don't believe what he wrote. and Because he, he wrote of me. Isn't that awesome? So, yeah. It's so cool. So the simplicity of Jesus is what it's all about. You know, the, and we said a little bit about that last night. The revelation of who he is and who we are in him. That we're called to proclaim him and see him. And we read briefly that passage in Luke 24 last night about the two men on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem. If you look back at that, think, think about that whole thing that happened there in that scene. It's, it's an amazing thing that the Holy Spirit recorded for us because you, first you start off with two people that are walking down a road, um, sun setting, they're puzzled, they're, they're saddened, the scripture says, they're um, not sure of what what just happened, I mean, they, they had their hopes dashed. They thought he, this Christ was going to be the one to redeem Israel, and now he was crucified by, by the Romans, and now there's a rumor that some women saw the tomb was empty. I mean, total confusion. And they're walking back to their homes, despair, disillusioned, and you have suddenly as they're walking in this, in this earthly reality of chaos and disillusionment, Jesus himself comes alongside, but they don't know it's him. And, it's, and what, what turns that situation around to where, as we see at the end of the story, they're so excited they run seven miles in the dark back to Jerusalem to tell the others what they saw. What changed everything began, began, by Jesus simply opening their minds to the scriptures. God put that there to help us see the way out of our chaos, out of our confusion. And what did he do when he opened the scriptures to them? He revealed himself in the scriptures, beginning at Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. And we talked about that last night, how that's the entire Old Testament. He revealed himself to them. And the scripture says that their hearts burned within them. Remember that? It burned within them. What that's a reference to is the love of God. They felt such love. They felt the warmth of God, the love of God. Now notice these people are unregenerated. They haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. The scripture says the Spirit had not yet been given. In fact, later in that passage, Jesus says, wait until the promise of the Father is sent, until the Holy Spirit is given to all men. So, the scripture says the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So here's unregenerated men, not yet born of the Spirit, who are hearing Jesus, who don't, they don't know it's him, they're hearing Jesus open the scriptures to, him, to them, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit opening the scriptures to us. Now here's unregenerated men who have darkened hearts. I mean, this doesn't fit within the theology of Calvinism and Reformed theology that says that a, a darkened, unregenerated person cannot hear the scriptures, cannot hear the truth, cannot believe, cannot do anything. No, that's not true. That's not what the scripture teaches. Anybody can be saved. And even the darkened heart can hear God. The scripture says, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. The scripture says that when the light passes before you, believe in the light so you can become children of the light. 
while the light comes by you, see? So the unbeliever can believe. The unbeliever can receive. How is that? Because inherent in the words of Christ, inherent in the revelation of him in the scripture, there is a power within the word itself. The scripture says, in thy light we shall see light. In thy light we shall see light. So the unregenerated, these two men who have not been born of the Spirit, their hearts were strangely warmed by the love of God because Jesus was opening the scriptures to them about himself. That's why you can call out, you can proclaim the love of God in Christ and the unbeliever can hear it. In fact, God says, if you hear it, don't harden your heart against it, see? They can't hear it. In fact, Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is that the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. That's totally contrary to Calvinism, Reformed theology, that the dead can't hear. Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is that the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and live. That's not talking about just the resurrection. That's talking about right now. The dead can hear the voice of the Son of God. How can the dead hear? Because it's the voice of the Son of God. In thy light we shall see light. The piercing word of God who created all things. God said, let there be light. And there was light. That same word speaks into our hearts. The same God, Paul said, who called light out of darkness has shined in our hearts. See, Paul actually equates the act of creation in Corinthians when he says, the same God who said, let there be light, or Romans, let there be light. And darkness was light. Is the same God, Paul says, who has shined in our hearts with the revelation of Christ, our dark hearts, and that light is the gospel, the good news, that God has come and taken away the sin of the world by the Lamb. Yeah. You see it? Yeah. It's awesome. Hallelujah. Everybody can believe. Everybody can hear. Everybody can see. I don't care how, how much in darkness you are, how unregenerated you can be. You're just, you, know, you can't be more unregenerated than just unregenerated. But that's, that's awesome. So here's two guys who are unregenerated and their hearts are strangely warm because of the word of the Son of God. So that word goes forth in power. You can talk to the hardest sinner, the hardest person who is not regenerated and tell them about Jesus himself and God's love and this great work that he was sent by God himself to take upon himself the sin of the world. If you will believe on him, you shall receive the forgiveness of all your sin. That simple word, that simple word will pierce the darkness. And if they will be merely believe, if they will but believe, the miracle will take place within. And they'll be raised from the dead. Awesome. Lazarus, come forth. You see? So here's these people. They're like warm, strangely warm. Now, look what happens here. They, come, they, they start in, in disillusionment and chaos and weariness. They end up with this scriptures being opened up about this Christ, this Jesus, this man, this one, this promised one. And why were they, why were they strangely warmed? by the love of God, what was Jesus telling them? He was revealing himself to them and his work. Paul says, I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus and him crucified, the son and his work, why he came, see? So he's opening up the scriptures to show them who the Christ is and why he had to die, why he had to suffer and die and be raised again the third day. He was telling them this is what all the prophets said would come that the day would come when God would remove the iniquity of Israel in a day. That he would remove all sin from Israel, from the world in a day. That, that forgiveness has come. This is the covenant I will make with Jacob in those days when I will forgive all their sins. 
This is the covenant that Jeremiah talked about that was coming. Behold, a new covenant he will make with us, not according to the covenant he made with us when he brought us out of Egypt on Mount Sinai, the law covenant, but a new covenant he will make with us. And in this new covenant, he says, the God of Israel says, I will be merciful to all your iniquities and I will remember your sins no more. This is what he opened on the road to Emmaus to these two men as they walked and they saw my God, my God, he did it. My God, sin has been removed. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so, so now the scripture opens up and they begin to see the Christ in his work and what he came to do. And they see the awesome work of forgiveness, complete forgiveness. Sin removed from the earth. God no longer counting the sins of man because of this Christ. It began to sink into them. Now, where did that lead? It led to them saying, as he began to seemingly walk on, they said, stay with us, stay with us. You know, they, they were drawn to him, right? So this, from chaos and disillusionment to the scripture opening up by the spirit or Jesus opening our minds, to reveal who he is in the scripture and his work led to an experience with him. So they're now in their home with him and he breaks the bread and gives it to them. And their eyes are open to what has always been. He has always been himself with them, but their eyes were shielded where they couldn't see or recognize him, who he was. So what has always been is removed, the, the veil is removed so that they could see what has always been and they recognize, oh my God, it's him in our home giving us bread. Oh my God. And then he vanishes. <laughs> And then he vanishes. They have, they're holding the bread that he just gave them, and he vanishes. The bread he just broke. They're still holding it, and he vanishes. Why? Why did he vanish? He wants them to see that it is a walk by faith, not by sight. I am with you always, even until the end of the world. He revealed himself. They had an experience with him. Their eyes were open. They saw for themselves him, and he vanishes. That's why he appeared for 40 days and disappeared for 40 days after the resurrection, before the ascension, the 40-day period from the resurrection to the ascension, the scripture says in Luke, he appeared and disappeared to many over and over again as he would appear in their homes or along the road and disappear. What was he doing? He was training them, preparing them to believe that he is with them, though their natural eyes do not see him. Paul said, look at that which is unseen. Don't look at that which is seen. Paul was taught by Jesus himself to look at the unseen reality, to believe in the unseen reality, to live like that every day. Not trusting in what your eyes, your natural eyes tell you, but in your inner man, your inner eyes, seeing the unseen. Okay, so then that experience with Jesus and a an introduction into living in the invisible reality because he just vanishes in front of them, but yet they just saw him. They know he's real. They know he's alive. That leads to something else. That leads to joy and excitement and passion such that they would run back to Jerusalem in the dark because remember, it was sun was setting. Now it's pitch black dark, and they run all the way back to Jerusalem with joy and strength and vigor and new purpose to what? to be a witness of him. That's simple. Simple, simple, simple. 
And they go back and they tell them about him. Then he appears again, suddenly in their midst. We talked about that. And that's when it just solidified what these were just telling them. That's when he ate the fish. You know, we talked about that last night. And that's when he tells them in the last portion. We didn't read that portion, but the very last portion. He led them out to Bethany, a city just outside of Jerusalem, not far from Jerusalem, on the other side of the Mount of Olives. He led them out because this was going to be a private thing just for his disciples. He could have ascended in the middle of Jerusalem. But this was going to be just for his people to see. So he led them out. Some say there were like maybe over 100. Not just the 11 and the two brothers from, that were from Emmaus and then some others that were there. That they spread the word pretty quick. He's here. He's here. He's here. He's taking us to Bethany. You know? So there's like oh, maybe 100 that are following. This is, this is incredible. This is the resurrected Lord about to ascend. And this is the 40 days is over where he's appeared and disappeared and encouraged them. I'm always with you. Why did he visibly ascend? Because it was necessary to leave the same way he would return. He could have just disappeared. But he wanted them to see this is how I'm coming back to. And that, in fact, the angels who appeared at his ascension said, in the same way that your Lord has left, he shall return. So they lead, he leads them out to Bethany, this little town outside of Jerusalem. And the scripture says he lifts his hands and blesses them. This is the end of Luke. He lifts his hands and blesses them and says, you are my witnesses. Take this message to Jerusalem, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, preaching repentance and faith, repentance and forgiveness in my name, which means the change of mind and belief and for the forgiveness of sins because of what he accomplished. Notice that the book of John, we talked about this last night, the book of John, the gospel of John, doesn't even mention the word repentance in the entire gospel of John. The word repentance is never appears in the Gospel of John. Not once. Not once. Why? Because John's emphasis is believe, 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 believe on Jesus. If you believe, inherent in believing is changing your mind. You see? We, we put way too much baggage on that word repentance. Repentance just means to change your mind. He calls us to go forth and proclaim his good news. That all men have been forgiven in him if they would but believe on him. Because he's already accomplished the work for every man. He tasted death for every man. Every man is included. Every single person. Every man, every woman, every child. But they must believe. If they do not believe, they will die in their sins, Jesus said. But if they believe, they will live forever. He who believes on me shall not come into judgment, Jesus said. But, shall, but has already passed from death and into life. Awesome. So he says, go forth and tell the world to change their mind. And believe on me for the forgiveness of all sins. Change their mind about God. Change their mind about themselves. Change their mind about religion. Change their mind about what they think is the way to heaven. And help them to see that I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. Awesome. And then it says, after he said those things and blessed them with his hands extended toward them. That as he was saying those things, he was taken up. But here's over 100 people. And he actually begins to leave the ground. This actually happened. <laughs> yeah. And they're sitting there going... Holding on to each other. Yeah. Are you 
You know? And it's such an awesome, yeah. Where's an iPhone when you need it? It would have a gazillion hits on YouTube, right? Oh, my God. And the Lord rises visibly to show how he will return. And I believe what happened is that because he's coming back with the, there's going to be a rolling cloud in, this, in the atmosphere of the scripture. It says he comes upon the clouds with great glory. I think what happened was as he was lifted up from the earth, which also, by the way, shows his supremacy, that he is Lord of all, that he's above all things. Yeah. It's a physical picture of that he's above all things, that all things are under his feet. So as he was taken up, I believe what happened was clouds began to roll in around him, and the light from the sun began to infract and just refract, his, whatever the word is, refracted light, just like beautiful rays, beautiful rays as the clouds began to envelop him. And then as he began to rise, probably maybe 300 feet up above, it can still see him, and the clouds covered him up. And they kept staring. The scripture says they kept staring. Trying to find him. That's how you do. You know, you see a balloon, you take a balloon, disappears, you try to find it. Oh, there it is. You know, they were, they were just human beings like us. And they were like, you see him? Where'd he go? I don't see him. I think, I think he's gone. And that's when the angels appeared. The angels suddenly appeared next to them going. And so they're going. When did he get here? And the angel goes, in the same way you saw him leave, he shall return. And the angel disappeared. And they're like, oh my God. And the scripture says they ran back to the temple. That's all they had at the time. That's all they knew. And they just started worshiping God in the temple, just praising God. Can you imagine all these Jewish people going like, what the heck happened to these people? What happened to them, you know? And, 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 they, and they had instructions from the Lord to wait in the upper room and all of that. You know, they were going to wait. They knew the time was coming. Pentecost was coming. But they were, like, so excited. They were, like. So you see how awesome the Lord recorded that scene for us? Two people on the road, disillusion, in sadness, going home, hopes dashed, expectations dashed. But it was the revelation of Jesus from the scripture and his great work of forgiveness and God's great love that led to an experience with him. See, some people don't get past the Bible. It's just, it's just all about the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. No, the word is a lamp unto your feet, a light unto your path. The scripture is supposed to lead you somewhere. The scripture is not an end in itself. The Bible is not an end in itself. We don't worship a book. In fact, Jesus said, you search these scriptures, and you think in these scriptures you have life, but they speak of me, and you won't come to me that you might have life. See? So the scriptures are awesome. They're awesome, but only in the sense that they speak of him, and it leads us to him. And in that leading to him, we experience him, experience his love. We experience the reality of the unseen reality. We know that he is with us always, even until the end of the world, Jesus said. And we are his witnesses. And from that excitement and that joy, we tell others. And others, you see, they went back and they told others in that, in that house what they saw. Well, guess what? Then they had an experience with him. That's, that's a picture of telling others about him. Then he comes into the house. You know, that's a picture of them having experience with him also. And that's how simple it is. That's how simple it is. And God wants us to know that it doesn't, it doesn't ever get complicated. The scripture says, as you received him, 
so walk ye in him. What does that mean? It means that God's not a bait and switch kind of guy. He doesn't bait you into the kingdom with a simple message. It's just by grace through faith. Just believe. Come on in. And then bait you to get in. Then switches it to, now, as long as you're a good person, as long as you keep all the rules, as long as you do this, do that, as long as you witness to 100 people a day, as long as you're always in the church, as long as you're always doing this, always doing that, then yeah, nope, that's bait and switch. The scripture says, as you received him, walk in him in the same way. As you received him by the grace of God, by simple faith, live every day by the grace of God in simple faith. Let him live through us in the simplicity of Christ, my life. To live is Christ. Isn't that cool? Yes. <laughs> it's so cool. One of the main works of the Holy Spirit, you know, we talk about the Spirit renewing our minds. You can ask a hundred Christians what that means to them. If you ask a hundred different Christians, what does that mean to you when the Scripture says the Spirit renews our mind? Some will say, well, it means, you know, the Spirit's renewing my mind so I think better thoughts. I don't think bad thoughts. I think good thoughts. Or the Spirit's renewing my mind to help me see uh, God loves me. Or the Spirit's renewing my mind to see that I'm a new creation. That's pretty close. That's good. But I submit to you that the essence, the essence of the renewal of the mind, the very core of the work of the Spirit in renewing our minds is this, is to reveal Jesus to us as everything for us. That's what Paul, see Paul got that. Paul said, he is my wisdom. He is my righteousness. He is my sanctification. He is my redemption. He has been made all things to me. I am complete in him. The main work of the Holy Spirit is to renew our minds to see how God thinks. Who can know the thoughts of God but the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God has been given to us, Paul says, that we might know the thoughts of God and the things that are freely given to us. What does that mean? The Spirit of God is revealing the thoughts of God to us, and what is the one thought of God? The thought, one thought of, the God, of God is His Son. His Son, that's the central thought of God. We talked about the wheels within the wheels and the circles within circles last night. The one thought of God is his son. That's why he said, hear my son, beloved. This is my beloved son. See? And so the one work of the Holy Spirit is to show us the son is everything. This is the rest. This is the rest. Because when you see by the Spirit that you have been joined to him and he to you, that he is in you and you are in him. And as he is, so are you now in this world. First John. First John 4, 17, I think. As he is, so are you now in this world. The last three words there, in this world, not just when you die. Then think about that. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal to us this union with him is the ultimate rest. As God did cease from his own works and entered into his rest, those who believe on this Christ and see what God has done cease from their own works and enter into his rest. So in that rest, we marvel that we are loved. We're, we marvel, like Errol says, that God has our back. That God is for us and not against us. We marvel that we are a new creation on the inside of these bodies. We marvel that we have a new heart. We marvel that God is in me. I am the temple of the holy presence and that I'm in him. 
Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, and now the Son in me and I and the Son, Jesus said, we are one. We marvel that we call ourselves the sons and daughters of God. We marvel in, in wonderment of what is, but it's all unseen. It's the invisible reality that the Spirit opens our eyes to. And as Paul says, we live now by the unseen, not the seen. And we grow in this faith. We grow in this reality. Not only seeing who he is, but who we are in him. This is what removes the weariness that we talked about last night. It removes the weariness. The enemy wants to wear the believer down. This removes the weariness. It transcends the weariness transcend see the spirit god wants us to transcend the flesh the world because you truly live in a different dimension a different realm you are truly in the kingdom just like we sang the kingdom of heaven is here now in the spirit paul says within us the spirit enables us to transcend what's going on around us jesus said in this world you shall surely have trouble but be of good cheer, for I have transcended or overcome this world, and now I'm taking you with me to sit with me in heavenly places while you finish your journey on the earth. Isn't that awesome? I have made it so where you can transcend this world of trouble. You can be of good cheer in a world of trouble because I have made it so you can transcend it in me, through me, by me, for me, all because of him. It's so awesome. These are the things we feed on and encourage each other, you know, in the spirit. I think one of the, I'll just, I'll just wrap it up here. And then I want to take any questions you may have. I thought we'd, we'd do some questions and answers today, this morning. I think one of the most misunderstood parables and mistaught parables in all of the Bible is the parable of the mustard seed. Most people teach that the parable of the mustard seed is Jesus teaching that you just need a little bit of faith, as tiny as a mustard seed, just a little bit of faith to move mountains. And you don't need a lot of faith, it's just about the amount, the parable is all about the amount of faith. That's totally wrong. That's not what he was teaching. In fact, Jesus encouraged greater faith. Remember how he said, oh, ye of little faith? Remember that? Remember how he bragged about the Gentiles' faith? Not so in Israel have I seen such great faith. See that? Jesus wasn't trying to promote little bitty faith. That's not what that parable is about. He's encouraging people to have great faith. In fact, when he saw it, he pointed it out. Not the woman with the issue of blood. Not in all of Israel have I seen such great faith. She just said in her heart, if I could touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And he pointed her out and honored her before all because of her great faith and turned to her and said, go woman, your faith has made you whole. No, no, no. The parable of the mustard seed is not about teeny weeny faith. That's not what he's teaching. He actually rebuked, one of the few times Jesus ever rebuked his disciples was because of their lack of faith. Remember that? So what is the parable of the mustard seed really all about that you rarely hear anybody teach? This is so cool. Jesus said, have faith like the mustard seed. We immediately think, oh, he means like a tiny little bit of faith. No. Listen to the whole parable. Jesus said, have faith like the mustard seed. Though it be the tiniest of all the seeds, yet when it is fully grown, it's big. It's larger, Jesus said, than all the garden plants. And that's true. 
the mustard seed becomes a little tree in your garden. If you, if you plant a mustard seed, a tiny little mustard seed, along with your tomatoes and your watermelons and your potatoes, if you let that mustard seed grow, it will become a little tree in your garden. <laughs> bigger than the tomato plants, bigger than the watermelons, of course, because they're all on the ground. So what's he saying? Have faith like a mustard seed. I'm going to add some words to it to make it to, so you can see what, it, what he's saying. Add, I'm, I'm, I'm going to add a few words. Um, have faith like a mustard seed that though he appears as so tiny, yet he knows who he is. He's not disillusioned by his size because he knows I'm a mustard seed. And when I'm fully grown, it's over. It's over, tomato. It's over, big fat watermelon. I'm going to be towering over you. I know I look tiny. I know who I am. And I know who you are. And when I'm fully grown... I'm going to be over all you characters. I'm saying that in a funny way, but what he's trying to say is, have faith like a mustard seed. Know who lives within you. Greater is he, like the pen I just got. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. What? What problems, and see these other things in the garden are not other people. We're not talking about comparing yourself with other people. We're talking about problems, issues, whatever it is. You will tower over all problems if we with faith and patience, faith and patience inherits the promises, faith and patience inherits, it takes patience for the mustard seed to grow. Jesus said that's the way the kingdom works, first the seed, then the blade, then the ear, then the corn in the ear, see? Growth happens. The Spirit renews our mind and growth happens. But Jesus is saying, have faith like a mustard seed. Don't be disillusioned by how you perceive yourself, how other people perceive you, or how the world is beating you up. Because within you is God. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. The testimonies could be written in volumes of people who have come back from devastating situations. Physical situations, bad health, bad financial crisis, bad relationships, whatever it may be but because they trusted the Lord within them, they trusted something they could not see, he brought them out and threw it into a place of awesome peace and blessing. Have faith like a mustard seed, he was saying. He doesn't, he's not discouraged by his, his side. He personified the mustard seed is what he was doing. He personified it like a person. He says, have faith like a mustard seed. He basically said, think about the mustard seed like a person. And he was saying, have faith like that mustard seed. Even though he's so tiny, yet when he's fully grown, he is larger than all the other garden plants, and the birds come rest in his branches, which is a reference to he's a blessing. He's a place, place of rest for others. He's a place of rest for others. The birds come and rest in his branches. Now see, that is the true meaning of the, par of the parable of the mustard seed. That's the true meaning. That's what, that's what Jesus was saying. And I tell you, very few people see it, teach it, explain it. Because they're focused on the size of faith or the amount of faith. And they're missing this invisible reality that Jesus is trying to 
get over that Paul clearly filled out for us as Jesus appointed Paul to explain his gospel. Paul talks about the inward man, the new creation, and bearing fruit, and walking in the spirit, and the, and the new reality in detail. But this was the beginnings of how Jesus was trying to share in parables this truth that you can, you can know who you are in him and have a manifestation. See, the growth of the mustard seed is a manifestation of what has always been. It has always been a mustard seed. He didn't grow into a plant and then, bingo, now you're a mustard plant. When you get to be a certain size, now you're mustard. No, the mustard was mustard in the seed. The mustard was mustard in the seed. But it wasn't manifested until time. Patience. See? So we can encourage each other with the unseen reality and remind ourselves. And that's the major work of the church. I'll just say this briefly and... We'll take some questions, but one of the major, the major work of the church, if the major work of the Spirit is to reveal the Son, and that the Son is all things to us, what's the major work of the, of the church to each other? The major work of the church to each other is to remind each other of who we are in Christ and who Christ is in them. You see? Speaking the truth one to another as we are built up unto the Son of God, see? And the gifts that are given to the body of Christ, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd. By the way, there's only, four, there's only a fourfold ministry. There's no such thing as a fivefold ministry in the Greek. There's no fivefold ministry. It's a fourfold ministry in the Greek. There's only four words used. Apostle, apostolic, prophet, evangelist, and shepherd. The Greek word is shepherd. The word pastor appears only once in the entire New Testament. It's in Ephesians because the writers said, we've got to have a pastor in there somewhere because we've got, we call people pastors. You know, we got to, you know, the, the Roman church said, we've got to have a pastor there somewhere. So they took the Greek word shepherd and said, let's use two words to describe a shepherd. And they called it pastor teacher. You can look it up yourself. There's only one word in the Greek in Ephesians. Chapter 5, talking about, or 4, talking about the gifts. And the Greek word there is only one word. That one word is translated everywhere else in the New Testament as shepherd. Just shepherd. You know why? Because, well, first of all, that's God saying this is the gift, the shepherd. The shepherd not only teaches, he does teach, but the shepherd feeds the shepherd, mends the brokenhearted. The shepherd is one who nourishes and nurtures, see, the shepherd. He guards the sheep. It's beautiful. It's not a big difference, but it's cool to see that, you know, shepherd is, what is, the, is the word that the Spirit used. And Jesus is our chief shepherd, the Scripture says. He's the chief apostle. He's the chief prophet. He's the chief evangelist. He's the chief shepherd. Anyway, so these gifts that are given to the body of Christ as well as the manifestations of the Spirit, speaking in a language of the Spirit, or the heal, physical healing that happens in the body of Christ, or words of wisdom, words of knowledge, as the Spirit gives these manifestations of the Spirit. All of this, Scripture says, is to build up the body of Christ. Prophecy, all these things, to build up the body of Christ, that they may see Him, primarily Him, as the Spirit is doing the same thing in them, focusing on Him as being all things to us, and who we are in him because of his work. Beautiful. Simple. Beautiful. And we begin to grow in this awareness of the truth. Speak the truth one to another in love. The reality. See? The truth is who you are in him. Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. When the spirit begins to reveal this reality of who we are in him. And that he has been made all things to me that I can rest we are free. We are finally free. Because no matter what happens outwardly, we are anchored beyond the veil. Our soul anchored, joined to him. So no matter what hurricane hits in this realm, 
In his realm, there's blue skies. Always. Always. Blue skies. People who, who skydive, and not skydive, but uh, who, uh, yeah, scuba dive. People who scuba dive, they tell me that, I don't scuba dive, but they tell me that no matter what's happening on the surface, a storm or whatever, when they get underwater, peaceful. Another world. It's a picture. It's a picture of another world. There's a fish are peacefully swimming around. The moment they put their head up above water into that other world, chaos and chaotic. That's how we are in Christ. That's how it is in Christ. He wants us to abide in this reality. I've just been going bananas lately over the whole thing about a door. I guess if you haven't, if you haven't noticed. But it's so awesome. Jesus, once again, Jesus doesn't say, I show you where the door is. Or if you learn my teachings, you'll find a door, you know, somewhere in the Himalayan mountains. Or, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't teach you where to find a door. He says, I am the door. You see how he is all things to us? So as we abide in him, you already th- you're already there. Through him, the door into that other realm. He wants this to grow in us, this reality, that though my body walks the earth, I live in heaven. This is not something too hard to grasp. In fact, Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, In a a sense, he was saying, Nicodemus, the whole human race is fallen. The whole human race is from Adam. It's not from God. They're not children of God. Let me say it that way. The human race, we're not naturally children of God. We are children of Adam. And the scripture actually says that. When you look at the lineage, it says, and he, he begot he, and he begot he, and then he goes back to Adam. We come from the fallen Adam. And so Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, said, Nicodemus, the only way to enter this other realm called the kingdom of heaven, the only way to be in heaven is that you must be born again. Because your birth from the Adamic line can never enter heaven because of sin. Can never. You must be born from above. You must be born of the Spirit. You must be born again. Or you cannot even see this other reality. And Nicodemus would ask Jesus and said, how can a man enter his mother's womb and be born again? He's thinking the natural, see, not spiritual. And so Jesus gives him an example of the earth. He goes, he goes Nicodemus, you know how the wind blows and you don't see the wind? but you hear it, you see the effects of it, you see the trees move. You don't see wind, but you know it's there. It's, in the, it's same, the same way when a man is born of the Spirit. You don't see, it's not a physical thing that you see with your natural eyes. It's a miracle. God grants it to those who believe on me, and they're born from above. And Jesus, and then Nicodemus says, I don't know, I, 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 can't, I can't grasp this, right? And then Jesus says this, he says, Nicodemus, what if the Son of Man, right now, in front of you, would ascend back into heaven? Into heaven, where I am, Right now. He said it plain, straight up. He just said it straight up. He said, Nicodemus, I'm in heaven right now. If you needed to see something with your physical eyes and you saw me ascend up, you would say I was in heaven because you saw with your physical eyes me ascend up. But I'm telling you, Nicodemus, right now, I am in heaven. You see that? 
His mind, it's awesome. It's John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and the best translation to see this, actually, is the King James. Yep, the King James, but you can see it in the Greek. You can go to the Greek. He actually told Nicodemus, and he said this too, which was amazing. He said, Nicodemus, no man, no man has ever ascended into heaven except the Son of Man who has descended. No man. And he said, what if I would ascend back into heaven where I came from? Then you would believe that I'm, that I'm in heaven. But I'm telling you, Nicodemus, I'm in heaven now. I'm in heaven now. Heaven's in me. Now, this is not something just that the Son of God was to have only. This is something he gives to all those who are born of him. This is the inheritance of the saints. That's why it says, Paul says, we are seated with him now in heavenly places. That's why Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be open, that you might see what he did. The exceeding power that is towards you who believe. The riches of this inheritance. You see? That you might see that as he ascended, so you ascended. That, that, the, that he is the head and the church is the body. That he ascended above all principalities and powers and took you with him. And all things are under your feet because you're in him. That's what he says in Ephesians. He's, he's trying to get this over to the body of Christ to, to get a revelation of this, that, that you might see what he did. The greatness of the power, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ever ask or think according to the power that works within you now. Not just when you die and go to heaven, but now, Paul says. See, he was opening their eyes. See, right now, the Holy Spirit, right now, is opening our minds. Like on the road to Emmaus, he opened their minds they might understand the scriptures about who he is and what he did. Right now, this, the mustard seed is seeing it's a mustard seed. You see? It's so cool. Right now, he's encouraging us by the Holy Spirit. By God's grace, I'm one of the gifts. By God's grace, I'm one of the gifts to the body of Christ. This is not me. I could not do this. You're hearing not a man... You're hearing God in me speak. The Lord is speaking to us. I couldn't do this. The Lord himself, as a, one of the gifts to the body of Christ, is encouraging us to see him. Don't be weary. Be encouraged. See what he has done. It's all about him. See who you are, mustard seed. Be encouraged. It's awesome. So cool. Awesome. Awesome. Lord, we just pray that these words will be sealed in our heart. Thank you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you help us to see what the Scripture is all about. You open our minds to understand the scripture and we see you and we see your love for us. We see your work. We see who we are in you and we rest for you have become all things to us. All things. Behold, it is finished. It is finished. Come to me, all you are heavy laden and burdened and weary. Come to me, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your soul.
Amen.